We are, of course, still in the book of Matthew this morning, continuing in our series on the Sermon on the Mount. This morning our focus will be Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. But as we begin, as always, would you please stand with me so we can read the first few verses of this famous sermon. Matthew chapter 5, this morning we will read verses 1 through 12. And then begin our time. There beginning in Matthew chapter 5 verse 1 we read. When Jesus saw the crowds he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them saying. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. From the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Please be seated. As we focus in on verse 6 today, and we focus in on yet another somewhat surprising emphasis of Christ and blessing of Christ, for he speaks on something that we typically would not associate with being blessed. We once again are brought face to face with the reflection of the individual who is truly seeking after God. And as we see here, Jesus speaks of hunger and thirst. And as he does so, and as we, can, as we begin our time, my thoughts throughout this week have gone through times at which, in, at which point in time I, I felt hunger and which I felt thirst. And the type of experience that has come to mind continually is perhaps an experience that you have had yourselves. It is the experience in which you are so caught up with the busyness of your day schedule. Um, You are so caught up with taking care of your kids or so caught up with a task at work or for you college students, so caught up with studying for final exams, which are this week, I don't know, another week. You're so caught up in the midst of getting something done that you lose all sense of time. And before you realize it, night has come upon you and you realize that the entire day has passed and you haven't so much as taken the time to... To eat a meal. And even though you hadn't thought of it the moment before, that moment that you realize how busy you've been, suddenly you're overcome with this sense of hunger. Suddenly you catch the, the faintest sniff, the faintest smell of a nearby meal. Maybe it is at a neighbor's house or a close by restaurant. And suddenly you become obsessed with the desire to have something to eat because you understand that you cannot possibly get back to the task at hand until you have satisfied that longing. Have you ever? Ever experienced that sort of hunger? Yes. Maybe I eat too much. Maybe this is just my experience. I think we all experience it, right? And it, it's a fascinating thing that the mind can do. It's fascinating that you can be so focused, so busy, that you can lose all sense of your basic needs. And yet the moment you realize that, the moment you are made aware of that need, you can think of nothing else. As we come to this verse in Matthew chapter 5, as we get to this next beautiful attitude as we've been discussing, you see that Jesus uses this imagery to describe the experience of of every true disciple. 
to experience the, the type of hunger, the type of longing that we all must understand if we are to truly appreciate our need and if we're truly to appreciate the grace that Christ offers to us. So as we unpack this verse this morning, Matthew 5, 6, my hope is that we can better understand what causes this hunger and why, why it is we should be hungry, what the object is of that hunger, what we should hunger after, and finally, of course, what the promise is to those of us who experience this hunger that Jesus describes. Before we do that, though, let me open our time in prayer, and we will dig in. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this morning. Indeed, God, we, we praise you, for we recognize, as we just sung, that Jesus Christ is, is all we have, and indeed all we need is Christ. But God, we confess, in the midst of the busyness of our daily schedules, and the busyness of work, and the busyness that happens at home, God, it is so easy to become distracted to that truth. It is so easy to be caught up in the belief that somehow we need more than what you have offered us in your Son. And so, God, we pray this morning you might break us of that tendency. You might break us of the temptation to believe and the lie that we need more than Christ. As we read these words of your Son, Jesus Christ, Father, I pray that you might reawaken the spiritual hunger, the spiritual desperation that is described here. And might we be individuals who, who hunger after the right things? Might we be individuals who strive to find sustenance purely in your son Jesus? And in so doing, God, might all of us here ultimately receive the blessing of fulfillment that is promised in Matthew 5. Bless this time now, God, we pray. Remove all distractions from us. Might it be a time that is blessed by you and ultimately a time that is spent to glorify you, to bring praise to your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray these things. Amen. As Jesus begins to speak yet again, in verse 6, and as he speaks of this next beautiful attitude, again, we immediately see that we're not so much dealing with an attitude here today as we are an experience. Uh, an experience. We're dealing more with a longing. And the first question we must ask, of course, in this text is, is what is this hunger that Jesus describes? What would cause the type of hunger that Jesus blesses here in Matthew 5, verse 6. Now, to a certain extent, the cause of this hunger can be found purely in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, and indeed can be found in the verses following this blessing. For that which causes the hunger that Jesus commands and Jesus describes is very similar to that which causes our daily hunger in the midst of our busyness. The hunger here that Jesus speaks of is hunger that is simply caused by the sudden awareness of a need. Sudden awareness of something that is, that is lacking horribly in our daily lives. It is an awareness that can be brought on by simply listening to the words of Christ. Again, in verses 1-5, through five, where, where we start considering this, this perfection that Jesus Christ speaks of. It is perhaps something you've experienced week in and week out as, as Eric has begun going through this sermon. For as Jesus speaks on meekness, as he speaks on the idea of mourning over our sin, and as we continue on in coming weeks, as, as we talk about purity, and as we speak of the character of Christ, of the beauty of Christ, not only are we to be impressed by that perfection, not only ought we be amazed by the beauty that is seen and, and what Christ commands, we, if we're honest with ourselves, ought to feel a little embarrassed, should we not? 
For as Jesus speaks of a perfection, any honest person has to realize very quickly that, that we're way out of our league here. I mean, we like to believe that we're okay, and, and much like we believe in the midst of a busy day, we like to, to believe we ought to be content with who we are. But when we are matched up against perfection, suddenly that ugliness of our sin is exposed. When we see the beauty of the Beatitudes, we then reflect upon the ugliness of our own sin, and we are suddenly hungry, we're suddenly aware to a certain extent, this is a great blessing, and indeed it is the point of, of so much of Scripture to, to reveal and to reflect our own gaping need. If you read in passages like Galatians chapter 3, you see Paul speak of this way of the Old Testament law. And in speaking to the purpose of that law, Paul says this in Galatians chapter 3, in verse 22. Speaking to the purpose of that law, Paul says, The scripture has shut up everyone under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. The whole point of the law, he says, is to shut everyone up in this this understanding of their own sin, to forcibly cause us to see our own brokenness, to see we can not obey the law perfectly, and to cause us to, to be desperately aware, desperately hungry for something that is greater than us. And indeed, when it comes to Matthew 5, verse 6, This is the awareness that Jesus speaks of, and this is the cause of our own hunger. And so in light of our own lack, in light of our own ugliness, we respond with this proper longing, with this desperate hunger, this desperate thirst. And it is so important to understand that when Jesus speaks of hunger here, he is not speaking of simply some passing appetite we have. The hunger that Jesus describes here is not what you and I probably feel around 4 or 4.30 every day where we say, you know, I could kind of go for something, but I don't want to spoil my dinner, right? That's not the hunger that Jesus speaks of here. The hunger that Jesus speaks of here is far more than a passing desire. It is unchanging. It is unavoidable. It is all-consuming hunger. It is indeed desperation. This type of physical experience, as some commentators have said, can, can be likened to that which individuals go through who live inside a city that has been put under siege. You can read accounts of this in the Old Testament where an enemy army has cut your home off from all food, from all water, from all provisions, and they're simply letting you slowly die inside so they can have a pretty easy victory in the future. You see one horrific account of this in that experience in 2 Kings chapter 6, and, and in that description you see that it gets so bad that individuals resort to cannibalism. They become so desperate that they're willing to to turn on each other because the hunger is so consuming. It becomes their one obsession. It is the only thing that controls their every waking thought. Jesus here uses that level of, of, of starvation, that level of hunger. You see the same sort of spiritual analogy put to it throughout other passages in Scripture, one that is perhaps familiar to all of you is in Psalm 42 where, where David uses the same imagery to describe his own spiritual longing for God. There in Psalm chapter 42, again a passage many of you have heard before, beginning in verse 1, David speaks and says, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before Him? David here uses this, the same imagery of desperation. 
David understands that he is lacking something. David, in that context, is suffering under persecution, is suffering under people attacking him. And so David understands he desperately needs God's presence. In this passage, back in Matthew chapter 5, this is the sort of hunger that, that Jesus commands. This is the experience that Jesus ultimately says will be blessed if, if of course, you hunger after the right things. Before you get to that proper thing we ought to hunger after, though, the question we must ask ourselves is, do we feel this hunger? And have we honestly felt this desperate? In the same way that Jesus speaks of mourning over sin earlier on in Matthew 5, do we mourn, do we feel desperate over our brokenness? Or, like so much of the world around us, have we become so caught up in the busyness of our lives Have you become so caught up in other pursuits that you've just lost sight of how desperate you really are? Have we become so blind that we can honestly read these beautiful attitudes in Matthew 5 and walk away thinking, yeah, I think I'm doing pretty good. Sadly and shockingly, a lot of people can. Many of us strive to avoid this awareness, strive to avoid thinking through this this desperate need we truly have. But if we do that, if we fail to see our own ugliness, if we fail to see just how much we are lacking when it comes to righteousness, how much we are lacking when it comes to perfection, then we will never understand the beauty of what Christ has to offer. We will never understand that we are indeed desperate and in need of help, in need of sustenance. My prayer, of course, is that all of us feel this desperation from time to time. But of course, having said that, as we continue to unpack Matthew 5, verse 6, we quickly are reminded that 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 desperation isn't in and of itself uh, enough. Jesus does not say, blessed are those who who desire to be blessed, right? Blessed are those who hunger after a blessing, for, for they'll be fulfilled eventually. We live in a world that is full of broken, broken, broken people. As easy as it is to sneer at the culture around us as they seek after that which is godless and unrighteous, the fact is they they are seeking after something in desperation to be filled. We live in a culture that is horrifically unhappy with itself. Horrifically unhappy. And so we live in a culture that is full of people who are desperately seeking out anything and everything to find some passing feeling, some fleeting feeling of fulfillment. And so we must understand as Christians that that feeling desperate and feeling bad about ourselves and understanding that we are broken is not enough. No, instead, as Jesus says here, it is only when you hunger after the the proper desire. It is only they who, who thirst and hunger, as Jesus Christ says back in Matthew 5, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That desire, that righteousness is essential to understand if we are to really appreciate the blessing that Jesus Christ has to offer. And so again, the question is, okay, so, so what is this desire? What is this righteousness that this blessed individual supposedly hungers after, thirsts for? Well, as we look throughout the New Testament, there's, there's really a lot of different ways that people can read this word righteousness. And, and many of us would be quick to assume that what this person longs after is simply salvation. Well, we, we might be quick to assume that Jesus is simply saying, blessed are those who long to be saved from their sin. And that, 
That's part of it. That justification, that idea of being made right with God is very much an essential part of this blessing. But that doesn't quite capture the character of the righteousness that, that is desired here. No, when, when Jesus speaks of righteousness and when Matthew uses this word frequently throughout his gospel, what you understand is that righteousness is not just justification, it's, it's sanctification. Righteousness is this idea of personal fidelity to God. It's daily, practical obedience. It is the desire to, to not just be in a right relationship with Jesus on a one-time basis, it's the desire to daily walk according to the attitudes, according to the structure that is blessed by God here in Matthew chapter 5. In other words, the individual that hungers after righteousness doesn't just long to escape hell. Although, as we'll see in a minute, that that is important. No, the the hunger for righteousness looks at Christ, looks at, at the offering of the gospel, and sees that offering as so precious, as so beautiful, as so valuable, that they desperately want to own it for themselves, and they desperately want to reflect that same beauty in their day to day lives. That's That's the meaning of righteousness here. It's the longing to to be truly beautiful. It's the longing to be like the the beautiful, precious Savior who speaks these words. You see this desire and you see this process spoken of in Paul in in passages like 2 Corinthians chapter 3. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul, describing this process, has this to say. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, I'll begin in verse 12 and we'll read through verse 18. There we read, Therefore, having such hope, we use great boldness in our speech and are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. Paul there speaks of that famous event in the Old Testament where Moses is able to, to lay eyes on God and as a result he glows with that glory he is physically changed. Verse 14, their minds are hardened. For until this very day, they are, they are, for until this very day at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. But this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, when a person understands their need, when a person understands who this Christ is and what he offers, that veil is taken away. Verse 17, now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. This process, as Paul describes it, is the process of longingly looking to Jesus Christ, day in and day out, consuming his word, seeing that beauty, seeing that purity. And as we see that purity, as we absorb that purity, the Holy Spirit continually, gradually makes us more and more beautiful like Christ. This longing then is the longing for beautification. This longing is to look like our Lord and Savior. It is understanding that this is not a quick fix. This is not something we are, found, we, we are able to find overnight. This is a lifelong pursuit. And this indeed is, is, is so key in understanding because again, as believers so frequently... When we think of of desiring the gospel, when we think of of what is so appealing about Christ, we focus entirely on that that once and for all justification. 
and we speak of the glories of Christ again rescuing us out of hell. We speak of the glories of, of our future heaven, but we fail to appreciate what it means for us in the here and now. Dear Christians, I think oftentimes we run the risk of, of falling into temptation to speak far too much of, of Christ and far too much of salvation as if it's purely a gift of, of escaping hell, of getting out of hell, and in the, as a result, we fail to really magnify how beautiful Christ is. We fail to appreciate what is so attractive about the gospel, what is so attractive about what Jesus Christ has to offer. For as we read Matthew 5, this is desirable. As, as horrifying and as ugly as the cross is to our culture, even the most hardened unbeliever understands the beauty that is found in humility. They, they, they understand the beauty that is found in these attitudes. And so we must understand that as, as we strive to, to be the right Christian, as we strive to be the proper, disi- the, the proper disciple, we are to echo this, this desired character of personal fidelity. And as David, we must desire to be in God's presence and to reflect that presence to the world around us. Furthermore, though, when we understand this hunger and as we see how that hunger is described throughout Scripture, we must also understand that the desired application or the desired conclusion of this righteousness is never a contentment in personal righteousness, meaning this hunger goes far further, far much further than, than just our own obedience and our own lives. No, the, the desired application, the desire in this hunger is to see this righteousness extend to the world around us. We long not just for personal purity in our lives, we long for the day in which the nations themselves will be pure. We long for the day in which other people will also see the beauty of Christ and they in turn will bow their knee before him. They in turn will confess allegiance to him and in response they too will be made more like him. You see this worldwide desire throughout just about any prophecy in the Old Testament regarding God's coming kingdom. Very frequently, of course, in the Old Testament, Israel got got overly caught up in their own justification and their own salvation, and and they missed the point of the coming day of judgment. They, They continually forgot, it seemed, that in that end day, it wasn't going to just be about their own salvation, but but it was to be about salvation of of nations. Consider this one famous text out of Isaiah chapter 61. There in Isaiah chapter 61, you can consider the end goal that is described in verse 10 and 11. The prophet speaking of that end day, the prophet speaking of that end goal for all humanity, says this, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes the things sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. That's the end goal. As we read furthermore in books like Revelation, we understand the end goal is is not just that we as Cape Bible Chapel and Cape Girardeau would would bend the knee and confess Jesus the Lord. It's that that the knee would be bowed and that the tongue would confess in every tribe, tongue, and nation worldwide. This is our greatest desire. This is our greatest hunger. This is our greatest hope. And, And why is that? 
Why would we desire to see other people bend the knee? Why would we desire to see other people made righteous as well? Well, simple, because, because we're so caught up in the beauty of Christ. Because we're so caught up in the truth of this gospel that, that we're not satisfied in simply us obeying Christ. We desperately long for other people to experience this obedience as well. We desperately long for other people to see Christ in the same beautiful manner that we see him. We desperately want other people to reflect our perfect king's glory and beauty, for we recognize that that is what our perfect king deserves. And so we hunger, we long to be more obedient, we long to be more righteous ourselves, and we speak of that desire, we speak of that hunger to everyone who will give us an open ear. We live in a culture, of course, that that would desire us to be silent, that would desire us as the believer to, to, to keep our religion in the church walls on any given Sunday morning. And for the most part, our culture is happy with that, although I think we can all see it's not going to be happy with that for very much longer, it feels. But we live in a culture, for the most part, that's always been happy with us as Christians just keeping our faith to ourselves. And very sadly, we as Christians oftentimes have given in to that desire. Oftentimes we are content with talking about our faith with other Christians, and with working on our own personal righteousness at home with our spouses, with our kids, with, with good friends. But we are afraid to speak of our obedience. We are afraid to speak of the gospel to people at work, or to people at school, or, or, or unsafe family members, because we don't want to offend. We, we don't want to push them away. We don't want to end those relationships. But that is not the mindset of the person that is described here in Matthew chapter 5. No, The person in Matthew 5 is so obsessed with righteousness. They are so awestruck by the beauty of Christ that they cannot help but speak of him to others, to everyone who comes by. And so as believers, we speak of this beauty. And we beg others to listen. We beg others to look to Christ, the the standard of beauty, the standard of perfection. And we longingly hope that they too will someday see the truth in it. For again, we understand apart from that, their hunger will be unmet, their, their satisfaction will never be found. And so we, as believers, hopefully, long after this, we hunger after this, but just as we must ask ourselves after the first point of, of what the attitude is, so too we must ask ourselves here, is this our desire? Is this your greatest desire, Christian? Is Christ honestly beautiful to you? Is righteousness, that that obedience to Christ, desirable to you, or is it just kind of a beating? When growing up in the church very frequently, I I must confess I would not not have described Christ as beautiful or desirable. I would have viewed my Christian faith as something that at times was holding me back and making me look like kind of an idiot in the eyes of my peers. And because of that, again, I I wouldn't be too quick to speak of him because I was a bit ashamed. This is a danger we all face for when we fail to appreciate this glory, when we fail to appreciate this beauty, inevitably what will happen? We'll we'll turn to other sources of happiness. We'll turn to other sources of of apparent beauty. We'll seek after that which the world turns to for their own desires to be fulfilled. And so we look to entertainment. And we, like any unbelieving American, can get caught up in the obsessions of our culture. 
And so we become obsessed with some given television show or some movie. We become obsessed with some sports team. We become obsessed with various forms of entertainment. We become obsessed with family, obsessed with our finances, obsessed with all these other things, convinced that if we just invest enough time, then surely then, then we'll feel satisfied, then we'll be content. This obviously is the habit of unbelievers, but sadly it is the habit of many Christians as well. And it is the habit of which we must be broken. We must regularly be reminded of the fact that that which has been laid before us, the feast that will surely satisfy us, is not to be found in this world. It is to be found in our resurrected Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, dear believer, I I encourage you again to to look to Christ and consider that beauty and desire that practical day-to-day obedience, that practical righteousness, for it is that righteousness that we are designed by our Creator to enjoy. Of course, even in the midst of this desire, if we are honest with ourselves, and this is where Jesus ultimately is leading us, we must understand that this, this hunger, that which we so long after, that which is the ultimate fulfilling thing for every individual, is not something that we can simply lay hold of. It's not something we can gain ourselves. Again, to use the example of our own hunger, we, for the most part, I assume, have been blessed in such a way that if you feel hungry, you can probably take out your wallet and go get a quick bite to eat. Right? If I get hungry at 4 o'clock in the office, I can just hop over to Sonic and get something to eat, as I do far more often than I should. And this is, this is not hard for most of us. But of course, the person that, that really understands their need, that understands their hunger is not just some passing appetite, it is starvation, it is desperation for the person that understands this righteousness and its beauty and its glory and its perfection. They understand this is something that is entirely outside of themselves. This gift, this end goal is entirely external and beyond anything that you can possibly earn. And so at first glance, this hunger seems desperate, it seems hopeless. And yet, just as is with the case with those who mourn, just as is the case with, with those who are gentle and those who follow the other beautiful attitudes, the blessed promise, yet again of Christ, is the blessing of, of sustenance. Again, look at Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are, the, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who understand how wickedly broken you are, who understand the ugliness of your sin. Blessed are you who, understanding that sin, desperately long for the beauty of Christ, desperately long for his righteousness, desperately long for that daily obedience. For if that is your great desire, if you understand that Christ is all in this universe, all in this life and the life to come, then you and you alone will be satisfied. That is the sweet promise of salvation. That is the sweet promise of this message. And this sustenance is both immediate, but it is also ongoing. It is immediate in the fact that that those of us who, who look to Christ, who cry out to Christ for salvation, who confess our brokenness, confess that we are nothing without Him, we are promised immediate provision, immediate sustenance. You see this Shocking reality brought out in passages such as Romans chapter 5. And in that passage, after describing just how wicked we are and how desperately evil all of us are in our own sin, 
Paul says this regarding those who have placed their trust in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exult in the hope of glory. Just like that. Those of you who were desperately starving one moment before, the moment you place your faith in Christ, you are filled. You are filled. You are given this righteousness. You are given this new life in Jesus Christ. And my prayer, of course, is that all of us in here have have experienced that feeling. Maybe some of you experienced it so long ago that you don't quite remember it, but some of you perhaps have been saved recently enough to remember that moment in which that burden, that weight of sin is, is finally for the first time taken off of you. And if you can remember it, you can remember just how glorious that moment is. To suddenly not be so caught up in the obsessions of this world, suddenly not be so caught up in shame and guilt and disgust, and instead be caught up in joy and exultation for Jesus Christ has given you that which you could never be given. This hunger that is described in Matthew 5 is a hunger that can only be satisfied when we are fed. The sustenance, this provision as described by Christ, is sustenance, it's provision that is handed to us. We must, of course, understand that this sustenance, this food, is by grace alone, saved purely by grace through faith. That is it. And astonishing as that is, we are promised time and time again by simply placing our faith in Jesus, we are given this immediate provision, and we can be confident that we will then see the fruit of that provision over time. For we read in other passages like Galatians chapter 5 that the Holy Spirit who indwells us will grow fruit. As broken as we are, and as imperfectly as we match up with the, with the beautiful attitudes of Matthew 5, we will inevitably see some of that fruit being grown. For the Holy Spirit will grow patience. That Holy Spirit will grow love, will grow joy. And again, it will be imperfect, but, but we'll see this fruit grow and grow and grow over time. And in that growth, we ought to rejoice. In that growth, we ought to experience and be reminded that we have been given everything we possibly need and infinitely more. But of course, even for those of us who have experienced that immediate provision, are you, Christian, entirely satisfied this morning? Are we satisfied by our personal righteousness day to day, or or do you still feel that hunger? We still feel that hunger, do we not? I assume I'm not the only one that experiences this. Why do we feel that hunger? We feel that hunger because as we continue to grow, in fact, the longer we stay in Christ, the more disgusted we ought to be by the sin that still indwells us. The more frustrated we will inevitably become when we continue to fall into the same temptation day in and day out that we thought we'd overcome years ago. This is the experience of every believer because we are still encased in the sinful flesh. Paul speaks to that experience in Romans chapter 7, and I'm so encouraged by passages like Romans 7, for it is a reminder that this is the experience that we all face. In Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 25, Paul describes this ongoing struggle he has in the flesh in which he says, that which I long to do, I, I fail to do. That which I don't want to do, I continually fail, fall into. And, and Paul speaks of this battle in which he continues to fall back in the self righteous attitude that he thought he had left behind in his days prior to Christ. 
And he speaks of that ongoing desire in which he, he wants to follow Christ, but, but he's frustrated by his own failures. And it is in reflecting upon that day-to-day struggle of the believer that Paul says this in Romans chapter 7, verses 24 through 25. Paul says, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from, this body of, uh, from the body of this death? Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh and the law of sin. And Paul here, again, echoes that same frustration that I assume all of you Christians have faced. And he echoes that same, that same cry that, that so many of us cry out to God on a daily basis. For daily, we feel ashamed of, of falling into that sin. And we recognize, I'm still hungry. God, I still need that righteousness. God, I still fall far short of the beauty that Christ speaks of in Matthew 5. And so please, God, grant me that beauty. God, grant me that righteousness. And again, Paul speaks there and says, praise be to God. For he recognizes again that 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 ongoing hunger he has will continually be sustained. And this is the promise that Christ gives us time and time again. That the sustenance is not just some one-time provision. It is ongoing. It is the promise that keeps us going day to day. The Spirit who indwells us and who grows that fruit in us is always with us. He does not leave us because we fall into some particularly damning, particularly shameful sin. No, God is still with us. And God still grows us in the midst of that. God still promises to keep us in His grace. And He does this because, again, we are entirely dependent upon his mercy. He understands we're always entirely upon his power. And so we as Christians face the reality of both being sustained but also continually hungering. Martin Lloyd-Jones says it in this way, the Christian is the one who at one and the same time is hungering and thirsting, yet he is filled. This is the, the, the experience we all face at the same time of of hungering, we are also filled. And it is this action in which we feel our hunger and we continually turn back to the cross. We continually look to Christ. And we strive to obey Christ, but we fall into temptation again. And so again, we look to Christ. We look to our provision. Day in and day out, we never move away from the cross. We continually cling to that cross, cling to that gracious provision. And we do so all the while hoping not in finding perfection in this life, but hoping and understanding that the ultimate fulfillment, the ultimate sustenance has been promised not here, but in the future. And it is that future fulfillment that that really drives us as believers. You see this fulfillment and you see the same language used throughout again, throughout, throughout so many passages in Scripture in which Jesus promises that day in which he will celebrate the feast with us which Jesus promises that day when we will experience that sustenance and we will be overfilled every day from here through all eternity. You see this blessed picture in passages like Revelation chapter 21. In Revelation chapter 21, as as we are given this image, this picture of our future existence with God in heaven, we read these words in Revelation 21, beginning in verse 3. There, We read, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them. They shall be his people. God himself will be among them. 
And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Right, for these words are faithful and true. And then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. Christian, this is our ultimate promise of fulfillment. It is at that moment in eternity in which the springs of life will be open to us at all times, in which we will escape this wretched body in which we dwell. And we will understand the sustenance. We will understand the joy that we were created to live, and we will see the beauty of Christ. Face to face, we will behold him. That is the sustenance to which we longingly look. But again, the question is, is this the sustenance you have seen? Have have you experienced this feeling? Does the promise of heaven excite you? Or again, does it just seem like somewhat of a boring image? If you are here this morning and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, the reality is you have never been filled. And regardless of how content you might feel at this moment, you are starving and near death. And your greatest need this morning isn't just to find some passing moment of pleasure today. It isn't simply for someone to pat you on the back and tell you, hey, keep it up, you'll make it through this. It is for someone to point you away from your hell-bound course upon which you currently are walking and to point you to the beauty and perfection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So as we continue our time this morning, and here in just a few minutes, we will get to the point of taking, taking part in communion. But as we come to that point, my question to you, unbeliever, is do you feel that hunger? Do you see your brokenness? Again, this culture will lie to you and will tell you you are good the way you are, but you are not. You are ugly. You are shameful. And I say that not because I am beautiful by any means. I say that because my ugliness has been revealed to me. And so, dear unbeliever, please hear the words of Jesus Christ in John chapter 6, verse 35, where he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. This is the promise of Christ, and only Christ can fulfill it. And so, unbeliever, I beg you to feel your desperation this morning. Look inside you, consider the perfection of Christ, and see and confess that you are broken. And look to the one and the one alone who offers you the bread of life. Look to the one, the only one who can offer you sustenance both here and now, but also for all eternity. Here in a few minutes, after I pray, we will take part in communion. If you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ, I ask you not to partake in the meal that sits before you on the table, but but to feast on that bread of life, to look to Jesus Christ, to confess your sins and place your faith in him, because the moment you do, you will be filled. The moment you do, you will for the first time understand what it means to be satisfied and understand what it means to live. If you have any questions about that, of course, I 
I encourage you to ask someone after the service. Seek someone out who is striving to walk in this beautiful way that reflects our Lord. For my brothers and sisters in Christ, the question we must ask ourselves is, are, are we still hungry? Do we feel this hunger that, that all of us once did? At some point in time, if you are a Christian, it's because you are made suddenly aware of your brokenness. But, but have you lost sight of that hunger? Do you feel that hunger daily? We live in a world that attempts to put us to sleep and again attempts to tell us that, that we ought to be caught up in the busyness of it all. But dear Christian, we must be awakened to our desperate ongoing need. We must rejoice remembering that day in which Christ filled us, that day in which Christ sustained us, but we must never become so arrogant as to think we have somehow moved beyond that point of need, that we have somehow moved beyond that point of desperation. No, we still live in a world that in many ways is under siege. And we still desperately are awaiting the day in which Christ will deliver us from this world, in which Christ will bring us eternal fulfillment, in which Christ will be established as the King of all creation. And so, believers, let us be awakened to that need. Let us rejoice that Christ fills us. And let us practically, daily seek out that righteousness that Christ commands. While we are broken and while we will never fulfill the commands and the expectations of Matthew 5 perfectly, we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. So often, again, we can get caught up in this language of, of being authentic with each other and just being broken people. And, and while that's good, at times it's just excusing our own shameful sin. No, we have God indwelling us. We ought to be meek individuals. We have the perfect example of, of humility before us in Christ. And so we ought to be humble. And so, believer, let us feast upon that which we know will bring us sustenance. Let us stop striving to chase after the artificial food that this world offers us and let us continually look eagerly, look longingly through the eyes of Christ as Paul spoke in 2 Corinthians. Let us be transformed day by day into that beauty, into that image and let us do so all the while eagerly looking forward to the day of the great feast that awaits us. And let us beg the world that surrounds us to come with us, to join us in that feast, to join with us in the beauty of salvation that is found at the foot of the cross.